The church was born in a supernatural demonstration of the Holy Spirit's outpouring. There was a city-wide sound of a violent wind, but there was no wind. That caused the whole city to be in uproar and people to be out in the streets going, well, what is going on? It sounded like a hurricane, but there was calm. And then a bunch of people burst out of a room with flames on their head, and they're all speaking in a different tongues, and everybody who's a conglomerate of people who've all come there to join the feast are hearing the same message in all the different tongues of the world. And this produced not joy, but amazement and perplexed and confused, and in some case, mocking onlookers. And in the middle of the supernatural demonstration, Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks anointed words, and 3,000 people are added to the church in a single day, added and baptized in a single day. Can you imagine if 120 each baptized themselves, 30 people or so, had to find water somewhere? It was a scene all over the city of Jerusalem. What's going on? Well, the Spirit of God just fell. These people got saved. You know, it's like an interesting... It wasn't born in a seminar. But it's how the church was born. It's how the church continued to grow exponentially. Here were unschooled, ordinary people, for the most part, without political influence, with no buildings, no money, no standing in the community, hated by the Jews, persecuted by the Romans, abused, ill-treated, slandered, and yet their entire world heard the gospel within a generation. It wasn't the systematic theology they presented. That's going to take them another 300 years to figure out. It wasn't because they had the whole Bible and they were excited about it. That was only going to be ratified in the 4th century. It was the profound demonstrations of God's love among them and the signs and wonders and miracles that they saw regularly. Today's message about why demonstrations of God's power and why His presence among us matter. Because in their absence... All we have left is ritual and theology. And if we can't experience the Lord for ourselves, we're left looking to a system. We're looking to priests or clergy who we cede access to that they go and represent us before God. It was never his intention. Certainly not in the New Testament. And if the presence of God is not felt among us, then we must fall back on traditions. And the older, the better, because we have to go back and we go to tradition and, and get that sense of this is something. And or we look forward to technology and we get the new whiz-bang global surround screen experience. What a weak substitute for the presence and the power of God. I'm not anti-tradition and I'm not anti-technology. I'm just pro the presence and the power of God. Because he said, I will be with you always. Tyler sent me this right before, because I, I was talking to the worship team earlier, and Tyler Bennett sent me this. He said, by nature, worship is not some performance we do, but a presence we experience. That's what Tozer said. He said, when you, you settle for performance, when you lack the faith for power. The church was born in demonstrable presence and power of Jesus. And we live and move and have our beings in him. And if we have to focus elsewhere, it's only useful if what we focus on is dedicated to and focused on Jesus. The moment our focus moves from him to something or someone else, it's going to be detrimental to us. So God, who has all power and authority, 
assigns authority to some of his creation. And when you were created in Christ Jesus, he assigned authority to you. Now, anytime we have a relationship with Jesus, that's going to require faith-filled responses because God is not interested in automatrons. He wants a relationship with us. And tradition will require obedience to the letter of law, but relationship requires involvement and faith. And relationship is the goal. All the miracles and the power and the presence of Jesus do is draw people to Jesus. And as what Paul says when in Corinthians, he says, when, when the manifestation gifts are working beautifully among you, people fall down and they say, surely God is here. Surely the presence of God, surely this is what it's like to be among the people of God. Now, it's God's love that motivates everything. So when he shows up and demonstrates his heart, he's doing it so that people will believe and come to know him. For God so loved the world that he gave his son and all ministry that proceeds out of Jesus' victory that came from the cross or his burial, his resurrection, all ministry is now to enforce and to demonstrate his great love for people. God so loved the world that he gave his son and all the ministry that proceeds from his son draws people back to him. Yet the vast majority of the church shies away from seeking presence or power. Even to preach this message that I'm preaching today is considered radical or edgy. If I'm saying anything untrue or unbiblical, please show it to me. Because the power and authority Jesus gave to all believers is available to everybody in this room within the sound of my voice if you know Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at this issue of the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus among his people. And we're going to seek the scriptures to see what the scriptures say. That it's normal for power to attend the gospel. And it's abnormal and wrong for the gospel to come merely with eloquence and the wisdom of people. Let's look at what Jesus said. We'll look at how the early church lived. We'll look at how Peter operated. We'll look at Paul's modus operandi. We'll look at how the early church function with the church fathers we'll look at what the scriptures have to say to us and we'll do it all quickly so buckle up <laughs> okay here we go jesus commissioned to the early church when jesus commissioned the 12 and he sent them out he called the 12 gave them power to drive out demons and to cure disease when he sent out the 72 he sent them out and he said heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom has come when he sent out the whole church, Mark 16, these signs will accompany those believe. They'll drive out demons, they'll speak in tongues, they'll lay hands on the sick. When Jesus was questioned about this, told you we go quickly. My point is, my point is that at no, at no stage when Jesus sent somebody to go and preach the gospel, did he not also command them to attend that message with power. You cannot find one place where he sent somebody out and did not command power. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, you may not leave Jerusalem to go and preach this gospel until you've been endured with power from an eye. Wait in Jerusalem. Do not go out and preach. Wait till you've got power. Now, Jesus asked this question in Luke 18. He said, because they asked him, how to teach us how to pray. And so Jesus put it in the context of a, our father. So he put it in the father, a child asking a father. Then he put prayer in the context of a friend asking another friend in, on behalf of a third friend. Then he Luke 18, he put it in the context of a widow going to a judge to ask for, for justice. And in this last one, Jesus finishes up 
And then he puts a question at the end of the teaching and he says, but he said, uh, when the son of man comes back, he said, I wonder if I'm going to find faith on the earth. That's a fascinating question to me. Jesus is teaching them, teaching them. And he goes, this is how you should pray. You press in and you keep going. And then he goes, when I come back, I wonder if I'm going to find faith. Because Jesus looked at the tenor of the world and he looked at the way the press of the world goes and he looked at the pressures that are going to be upon the people of God and he goes, man, it's only the people that are going to press through are going to see this. Let's look at the early churches, what the Bible says, the early church's common experience and theology. Acts 2, everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Acts 5, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. The early church, every time the Bible speaks about the early church, it always speaks about the presence and the power of Jesus among them. There are angelic visitations. There are people experiencing glory. There are things going on and miracles happening, and the church is full of them. You can't separate the early church from the power and demonstration of Jesus among them. Let's talk about the Apostle Peter, who took the lead early on in the church. What was his usual modus operandi? Let's go to Acts 3. In Jerusalem, Peter and John healed a crippled beggar outside the temple, and 5,000 more believers are added to the church because of that miracle. In Acts 5, in Jerusalem, Ananias and Sapphira lie about how much money they're going to give, and they die one at, one at a time at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says great fear seized the whole city and the church and everybody who heard about this. That wasn't a great eloquent message. That was somebody died. Everybody said, we better not do that again. Acts 5. In Jerusalem, as a result of many people, as a result, many people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might touch them. And everybody his shadow touched got healed. And then the Bible says, as a result of that, crowds gathered all from around the towns, all around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts 5. In Jerusalem, Peter and John are delivered from jail. They got, got arrested, got put in jail, and an angel delivers them. He says, go back into the temple and start preaching. So when they send to the jail, where are those prisoners? They go, they're not here. Somebody says, uh, <laughs> you know, we arrested them yesterday for preaching. Yep, they're, they're preaching there again. Bible says, as a result, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts 9. In Lydia, Peter heals Ananias, a paralytic who's been bedridden for eight years. The Bible says all of those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. An entire city turned because of one miracle. In Acts 9, in Joppa, Peter raised a woman Dorcas and or Tabitha from the dead. And then this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Go oh, Peter was such an eloquent speaker. No, Peter was demonstrating power and then proclaiming a gospel. Amen. Let's talk about Paul's usual modus operandi. I know I'm going quickly. I get that. You can listen to the sermon, put it just like 75%. And, the, and you can... Amen? Paul's usual modus operandi. Paul said, my, Paul goes up to, you know the only place where Paul didn't demonstrate a lot of uh, signs and wonders was when he went to Athens and he spoke there and he was trying to be erudite. And that's one of his least impactful places. And then after that, Paul goes down to Corinth. And this is what he says to the Corinthians. When I came to you, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's 
eloquence or wisdom, but on God's power. Ephesians 6, finally, this is the end of the matter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Acts 13, in Paphos, there was a confrontational between Saul and Elymas, who was the guy who was trying to stop the proconsul from this. Saul looked, Saul, Paul looked at him and rebukes him, and he goes blind for a while. And the Bible says, then the proconsul saw and believed. Acts 14, in Philippi, Paul drives a demon out of a divination, a demon of divination out of a slave girl, and he gets locked away, and there's an earthquake, and he gets released, and the jailer and his entire family get saved. Many other people in the city hear about the story, and the jailer becomes one of the key leaders of the city Later on, church history tells us. Acts 19, the Bible says, Paul, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. Their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. As a consequence, many believed and came forward to confess their occult involvement. They burnt occult books and paraphernalia, and the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Acts 28, in Malta, he's bitten by a snake. People say, God, the, the shipwrecked and they spat up on the island people say well the gods are angry with them then paul gets bitten by a snake on the island it's like definitely god's ticked with them because but then nothing happens to him because they go that's a venomous snake to spit him nothing happens and they go well he must be a god and then so the the pupilus the chief official of the island invites him in and they find out his father is sick and so paul lays hands on him he gets healed and when that he gets healed they bring all the sick of the island to him People go, oh, I'm not so sure about this power thing. Ah, I'm sure. Romans 15. This is what Paul said towards the end of his ministry. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. The implication is, without the power of signs and wonders, he would not have fully proclaimed the gospel. Not just by what I said, but what I said and did. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders in Jesus' name. I want to read to you a little bit from the church fathers. This is like uh, AD 100 to about AD 2300, right? The early church fathers, because you go, oh, well, you know, the apostolic age, this is the, big, this is the big theory. Well, in the apostolic age, God was pouring out his spirit and God was doing miracles. And when John died around about AD 100, well, then that was over. John was the last of the apostles Jesus appointed while he was on earth. And they say, well, when that apostolic age died, there was no more need for the power of the Holy Spirit to be demonstrated. What do you think the Holy Spirit is doing then? Because he's still poured out on the earth, right? Anyway. Irenaeus, who was the Bishop of Lyons, about 190 AD, and he said, Christians do certainly still drive out demons because they were saying, oh, it's all ended. He goes, no, no. And uh, others have the foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions. They utter prophetic expressions. Still others heal the sick by laying their hands on them. Because no, no, this is what's happening. Justin Martyr, 100 to 165. He's talking to the Roman Senate. He says, numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercise them in the name of Jesus. And they, 
have, have healed and do heal people. And they render the demons helpless in the men. He says, speaking to the Roman guy, you guys know, you've got demons in your city, just call the Christians. He says, you know, many of them are driving those out and they bring in healing. Tertullian. Oh, this is the, this is the, this is the shocking one. 197 AD, he's writing an apology to the Romans. He goes, listen, let anyone be brought before your tribunals who has agreed to be possessed by a demon. That spirit, when commanded to speak by any Christian that you'd like to select, will truly confess that he's a demon, as elsewhere he will falsely claim to be a god. In exactly the same way, let any one of those be produced who are deemed to be under the influence of a god. If these deities of yours do not confess themselves demon, not daring to lie to a Christian, you may there and then shed the blood of that most insolent Christian. What could be plainer a fact like this? He goes, here's the test. You guys want a test? Just bring your demons. Choose a, de- choose a Christian. Any Christian. Have them come in. What could be more trustworthy than a proof of this nature? The simplicity of truth is before your eyes. Its own virtue attends it there. Suspicion is altogether out of the question. All of this dominion of ours and power over them derives its force from the naming of Christ and from the enumeration of those judgments which they apprehend are threatening them from God through Christ the judge. Dreading Christ in God and God in Christ, they, demons, render obedience to the servants of God in Christ. Wow, and not all ended. No, it didn't. A hundred years after John died, they were still going, hey, pick a Christian, any Christian. Not in the yard, and strike. Let's talk about modern-day unbelief. Let's come back to Jesus' question. When the Son of Man comes, will you find faith on the earth? You know, this world is at war with God. It's the domain of unceded spiritual authorities and powers who were cast to earth after their rebellion and failed coup in heaven. God said, no, no, out. You're stuck to the earth. And it's also filled with human beings who were sold as slaves to sin, at war with God in their minds, following their own lusts. And as Paul says in Ephesians 2, we used to live among them when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. They have a hatred for God. They mock his word and his spirit. They're full of cynicism unbelief and arrogance this is the hallmark of the enemy and the earth is full of this but the earth is also full of the glory of the lord the holy spirit poured out and what we believe will determine what we live in but if you're not careful if you just wander about the dust of this world will settle on your heart and cake your heart and mind and form a layer of cynicism and unbelief that you will start to live in. And so we're going to have to be careful about that. It's not just automatic that your faith is going to thrive. Jesus said, am I going to find faith? And the answer is yes, when people say, no, no, I'm pressing in. I'm not going to, I'm going to wash myself with the water of the word. I'm not going to let this unbelief settle on my heart. I'm pressing through. I'm going after God. What you believe in, you will live with. Jesus said it many times. According to your faith, it'll be done to you. Now, unthinking people are just going to go with the flow. Their own natural thoughts about these things, and they'll probably never see the power of God because even when it happens in front of them, they'll explain it away as something else. <laughs> I had uh, uh, stories. I, I wish I could... I've literally... 
I've literally been in a moment with somebody. The Lord gave me the, the, the word of knowledge about them. Call out their name, their birthday, and the date. I mean, it's fairly specific. They know it's them. And I've called them out, and I can see them in unbelief. They still, it's happening to them in real time, and they still can't believe. Go, you. Yeah, you. Is that your name? Yes. Is that your birthday? Yes. Is that your condition? Yes. God wants to heal you. Like, how do I know? I don't uh, Like, stand up. Don't die about it. See, if we're not careful, we can live like the rest of people who have no hope, the Bible says, who don't know God, who, who are not exposed to spiritual truth. We live fundamentally in unbelief, even though we have everything. Now, bad theology is going to teach you to expect nothing from God. That's bad theology. Good theology teaches believers to believe. Now, there's only three options here. But one, God has stopped doing wonders. And there is a theology that teaches that. Although the Holy Spirit is everywhere, He doesn't do miracles anywhere. I don't agree with that. Number two, God does wonders sovereignly. In other words, God is going to work miracles without human agency. God's going to show up. There's going to be a miracle. You're not going to understand why he did it. You're not going to understand how it worked. There seems to be no rhyme or reason, but God does sometimes just do that. And just bang, there it is. And you go, wow, thank you, Lord. But there's no mechanism. There's no relational connection. There's no human agency in it. He just sovereignly decided to drop a miracle here and not drop a miracle there. I don't like that because I don't think it's scriptural. Number three is God is still doing wonders and the Holy Spirit uses faithful ministers to demonstrate his power. That's what I believe, right? Now that means, that means you. That means you. Not me only standing up on stage, you. In your daily work, in where you go through the week, and the people that you connect with, you are supposed to see power and signs and presence and wonders. Luke 10. A 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning for heaven because I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. But don't rejoice about the demons. Rejoice about eternal things that your names are written in heaven. Now, I've got to close this down in about five minutes. So here we go quick. Number one, there are two things Jesus said that he gave you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have two things. Number one is called dunamis. It's the power of God. It means strength, power, ability um, to make something happen. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't leave Jerusalem before you have this power. But when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have power. And that's what you see. Jesus wants you to know that if you believed in him and you open up your heart to the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to heal, 
drive out demons, to change atmospheres, to bring in the atmosphere of heaven. And you have it right now. The second thing Jesus said <laughs> is that he give you authority. The Greek word is exousia. Jesus came and said, all exousia, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if all in heaven and all on earth has been given to Jesus, how much is left for the devil? None. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. So now I'm going to give it to you and I'm commanding you to use my authority. You can use my name, which is above every other name. And I'm commanding you in my name to go out and make disciples of every nation and baptize them in my name. Authority is, you know, the classic movie about there's an unruly class and they're just going wild and playing their own music and there's no teacher and the substitute teacher is brought into the class and the substitute teacher has been given authority and the teacher walks in and their job is to bring, a, is to bring order and discipline into the classroom. And if that teacher is uh, somehow shy or timid or fearful, how much order is coming into their class? They're going to ignore you like a stop street, right? They're going to just ignore you. So a teacher that comes in with boldness, understanding, I have the authority, says, all right, sit down, be quiet, open up your books, and has the authority to put a little stick about, they will bring order. Now, the problem with a lot of believers is they go, I, I've been given power and I've been given authority, but I don't quite know what to do with it. And if you don't understand this authority on your life, you will never use the authority on your life. Authority is to be taken and used. And if you're confident in your authority, you begin to assert that authority. So sometimes Jesus said, when a mountain is in the way, you speak to the mountain and you command the mountain to go. Too many people are asking the mountain, would you mind going? It's, it's never going to go. Right? We're not supposed to ask. Jesus didn't say pray. The word, that's not entirely. James said you can pray for the sick. But Jesus didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. There's a difference. Some of you have been praying for people and you actually have to start saying to that migraine, in Jesus' name, I command this migraine to leave. It's a different kind of prayer. Because you understand I've got authority. I was in Dubai with a friend of mine and he had a migraine for three days and we were in a meeting and somebody said, hey, why don't you pray for it? He said, I feel like there's migraines. He had a word of knowledge. So my friend said, yeah, geez, man, I've had this thing. And so we, uh, we said, and the guy was in the meeting, he said, just say to it, in Jesus' name, go. And he said, do this. So I said to it, in Jesus' name, go. And my friend said, whoop. I said, what happened? I said, it went. I was like, Wow. You have power, and you have authority. But if you never use or exert your authority, and you never expect the power on your life, you're never going to see it. Yes. Then, I've run out of time. But we're going to practice this. Amen? Amen.